0: Support for Decoder comes from SAP Business AI. Sure, we've all had fun messing around with AI image generators and conversation bots, but AI is more than a novelty. Businesses around the world have found ways to harness its potential, like spotting inventory shortages before they happen, or supporting supply chain management. And it's very possible that your business could benefit from AI integration too. Unlock the potential of AI and discover even more possibilities with SAP Business AI. Revolutionary technology, real world results. That's SAP Business AI. Learn more at sap.com slash AI. Startups, you don't need to settle for a cumbersome banking experience to protect your money. Mercury offers banking and credit cards with effortless experience, giving ambitious companies greater precision, control, and focus without compromising security. Open smarter checking and savings accounts, control spend, optimize cash flow, and close the books in record time. Visit mercury.com to join more than 100,000 startups that trust Mercury with their finances and to help them perform at their highest level.
1: Hello, and welcome to Decoder. I'm Neil Patel, editor-in-chief of The Verge, and Decoder is my show about big ideas and other problems. This week, I'm talking to Qualcomm CEO, Cristiano Amon. Now, I've known Cristiano for a while now. He was the president at Qualcomm, before he became CEO this past June. And he has always been a relentless cheerleader for what mobile computing can do for people, especially if that mobile computing is powered by Qualcomm's chips. And Qualcomm's chips are in basically everything. The company's wireless products are in virtually every phone. Actually, they're in every 5G phone. And its Snapdragon processors are in every major Android phone. Then it has lines of business in cars and servers and VR headsets, you name it the company is everywhere. But relentless optimism can only get you so far. Like every other company, Qualcomm is dealing with a supply chain crunch, a global pandemic, and skyrocketing demand for chips that's led to widespread shortages. On top of that, it's facing some pretty steep competition from Apple. Apple's A-series chips in the iPhone have long outperformed the Snapdragon line, and now the company's M-series chips for Macs are upending the PC industry. Uh, market, Qualcomm still hasn't really cracked. And Apple recently bought Intel's modem division to make its own 5G radios, another avenue of competition between Apple and Qualcomm. So I wanted to know how Cristiano is thinking about Qualcomm's future six months into his run as CEO. What's working, what's not? Where does he have to make changes to compete? How long will this chip shortage actually last? This is a pivotal moment for the chip industry and I really wanted to push on how Cristiano is thinking about getting through it. I also wanted to ask something I've always wondered about. Qualcomm is basically the only company that's shipping a 5G radio in the United States. Yep, Apple might eventually have one of its own, but right now it's all Qualcomm. How did that happen? And where does Cristiano see any other competition coming from, if any? I thought his answer was very revealing. Okay, Cristiano Amon, the president and CEO of Qualcomm. Here we go. Cristiano Amon, you are the president and CEO of Qualcomm. Welcome to Decoder.
2: Very happy to be here and good talking to you. I think it's been over a year.
1: Yeah, we last spoke when you were the president of Qualcomm a year ago. Now you are also the CEO. I have a lot of questions about that, about what your plans for the company are. But I got a chip executive from one of the leading chip makers in the world on the show. I have to start with the chip shortage. How is it going? How has it impacted Qualcomm? When is it going to be over?
2: Well, very good. Well, thanks for the question. Uh, Nice to see you, too. Um, Look, here's the situation. This is one of the biggest, I think, uh, supply chain crises we had on chips. But also, it's because of something else, which is chips are now going everywhere. And the percentage of digital in the economy is significantly higher. Virtually everything has been built now, required chips. There's an interesting thing I was talking with the folks uh, in the Treasury Department that you know what we saw with the pandemic there was a shift from services to goods and people buy more goods uh, than services and then there are chips and all those goods. So one thing we learned to the supply chain crisis if I can if I can say about something that is positive of, of it it will be the chips are important. There was an understanding of the importance of chips in our economy, the importance of semiconductor companies. And as a result, a lot of companies that didn't have a direct relationship with semiconductor companies started to have it. Look, it was a challenge. It was a challenge for me, the first year CEO, uh, you know, I took on in uh, 1st of July dealing with that. But it's also an opportunity. I think we'll be able to leverage on on our assets of having a very large engineering, I think, a capability to design our products across every available capacity out there in a very short period of time. We bet in ourselves because we bet in ourselves. We believe in what our volume is going to be and we make commitments and we put our scale to work. So in one hand, it was a big challenge, also an opportunity. We are doing better, I will say, than than probably other companies. We see now significant uh, increase in supply for us as we begin 2022. Some of the capacity expansions planning we put in place are starting to materialize it. And it kind of got reflected in our guide as well for the next uh, fiscal quarter. So it's not over yet, but things are getting much better as we go to the first half of 2022.
1: Can you see the end?
2: Yeah, for us, uh, we have a very balanced supply and demand equation as we get to summer of 2022. I know the other companies probably uh, are talking about 23 and beyond.
1: Does Qualcomm manufacture its own chips, or are you doing designs and someone else is doing manufacturing?
2: We are one of the largest, fabulous company. We we never had a fab. We outsource our manufacturing of our chips uh, has done since the beginning of our company. We work with pretty much everybody. We work with TSMC, with Samsung, with Global Foundries, with SMIC, with UMC, all of the companies. To give you a technically correct answer, we do manufacture one thing. When you talk about material science and especially a very complex filter technology for 5G s- r- frequency signals, we manufacture our own filters. We do that in Munich and in Austria, in Europe.
1: That is fascinating, I didn't know that. The reason I ask about manufacturing is, as I've talked to various executives about the chip shortage, they've all said, along the lines of what you just said, demand is really driving the shortage. People want more stuff, everything has a chip in it now. The capacity wasn't there. Then there was some COVID-related impacts and that sort of thing. But it's the manufacturing capacity that has to catch up to demand. That's the end of the chip shortage for real. Are you investing in any of that manufacturing capacity? Are you partnering with any of those companies you mentioned? How does that work for you?
2: Yeah, we're investing indirectly. I think the way the way to look at this is, as I said, because we're bet in our in our volume, we're very comfortable making long-term commitments in co-investing with our foundry partners to make sure capacity is there for us and some of that started to materialize decisions we made early we took action very very early in the supply chain crisis and some of that's already coming to fruition and materializing for us as we enter 22. And the way to think about it we're indirectly investing as we make uh, commitment as we invest together with our partners uh, actually putting you know money down and uh, because of that we actually secure significant amount of capacity for Qualcomm uh,
1: in 22 The other last question on this uh, There's a lot of interest in making sure That manufacturing capacity is distributed around the world Particularly here in the United States TSMC is building a plant here There's lots of interest in the administration in building a plant here. Is that something you're directly involved in? Or are you are you waiting to see what the actual fabs do?
2: Oh, absolutely. This is an important topic for me. Maybe I'll, I'll just uh, share something with you. About a couple of weeks ago, I was elected chairman of the SIA, the United States Semiconductor Industry Association, uh, for this uh, upcoming year. And, uh, you know, in that capacity, working with with my colleagues in the SIA, two of our priorities is to make sure we get CHIPS Act funded, we get FABS Act enacted. This is extremely important. We advocate strongly for a geodiversified resilient supply chain. This is so important for our economy. I think we know that right now, whether it's it's the auto industries or anything else you buy. It's very important for our economy, and we needed to make sure that we have not only a resilient, but geodiversified investments in the United States of uh, Foundry. It's very important. Even new players, Intel, when they indicated they would like to be a Foundry, we raised our hand and said, yeah, we'll work with them, and we're engaged with them as well. We work with anybody. On top of that, I actually really like uh, the current discussions that are being between the Europeans and the United States. They're both trying to solve the same problem and working in coordination, because I don't think one one company, one region will be able to solve all of our demands for semiconductor, but we have to do something now to make sure we have a resilient supply chain for semiconductors for the next decades.
1: In talking to people about the the chip shortage and the supply chain generally, I feel like people have known that we have needed a more resilient, diversified supply chain for quite some time, and then COVID hit. And this happened, and now maybe there's an incentive to do it. Is that your experience too? That everyone has known this is a problem, but it hasn't been a problem until recently.
2: Yes, we have known that semiconductors will continue to grow, and it wasn't on anyone's radar screen the fact that you need to have a very reliable, resilient uh, supply chain. You know, it's it's not that I want to say, look, Qualcomm has done great, but we knew of this. That's the reason, compared to all of our peers, we're probably one of the few companies that really diversified our leading node needs. We use TSMC and Samsung for many, many years. We split our business between two. We have multi-sourcing for exactly this reason. So both across Samsung and TSMC on advance the latest and greatest technology with design on both. But I agree with you that this shortage brought this issue to the surface. A lot of companies, especially in the auto industry, didn't even understand there was supply. There are semiconductors in their chain, became very aware of this. And I think now
1: it's like this needs to get resolved. I, so I kind of agree with that view. It's interesting, uh, the car CEOs I've spoken to, it's like a revelation that they were so dependent on ships, when on the other hand, they've all been telling me their cars are turning into smartphones for like five years now but I think that moment of clarity really hit. Okay, I wanted to start there because I know we have limited time and I didn't want to get away from those questions. No problem. Let's start at the beginning now. You're the new CEO of Qualcomm. That's a new role for you. You were the president of Qualcomm before. What has changed for you now that you're the CEO? When I
2: became president, you know, I was responsible for this semiconductor business, and I start putting, there was back in 2018, started putting the strategy and the execution together to diversify the company. Uh, I saw there was an incredible opportunity for technology in many different end markets. We always been a company focused on mobile. That would never change. We, we continue to be successful in mobile, but we had incredible opportunities for Qualcomm, across a number of different markets. I think when I became CEO it was an opportunity to really you know, solidify that vision, get that vision uh, clearly communicated within not only the entire company all of our partners, but also to the market. I've been preparing as I got the CEO job into what was our investor day that we did uh, three to four weeks ago in New York, when we presented that there is a lot of things about Qualcomm that important to be understood. We cannot be defined by a single end market and a single customer relationship. There's a lot more to Qualcomm than that. We have now relevant technologies for so many end markets becoming a company that is powering the edge. And we unveiled that just within the next decade, our addressable market can grow by seven X to $700 billion. And I think my view is that's what changed is the responsibility has been president and CEO to basically execute on one of the largest opportunities in our history. And yes, I do feel the weight of that responsibility on my shoulders, but I'm excited about the opportunity. Is it execution or did we change the strategy at all? I won't say we changed the strategy. It's kind of more than execution. I think it's the ability to build this vision, go bigger, faster, leverage our technology roadmap, which is becoming very relevant because mobile technology is going everywhere, quickly invests in the technologies that we need to execute on this vision. Like not what I wanted to do with 15 days on the job, but I had to put a competing public bidding offer for the driver asset, you know, for ADAS, you know, as soon as I got named CEO, I made the acquisition of a company called Nuvia because we wanted to have uh, the best CPU team in the market, and we, we believe we do, and to be able to build brand new relationships with new customers and new executives for new markets that were going. And I think that's all uh, part of this, uh, this set of activities. So you can call it execution, but I think there's a we're definitely in a hurry because I think the opportunity is right in front of us. And uh, we wanted to execute on it as fast as we can.
1: How many people work at
2: Qualcomm? Uh, It's uh, in the order of about 50,000. And
1: where are they mostly located?
2: The majority are located in the United States, but we have presence everywhere. Just an example, we have uh, over 10,000 employees in India. We have several thousands of employees across China, Korea, Japan, Europe. So it's it's a global company. It's uh, very diversified, and uh, we take pride into probably in the areas that, that we're really focused in, like in uh, technology across Modem, everything wireless, everything high-performance computing, low-power device. We just look where we find the best possible talent, and uh, we've been building in those locations.
1: That's actually my next question. How is how is the company structured? How big is the modem division? The computing division? How do you think about that structure?
2: Well, we don't make some of those disclosures, but I but I'll give you I'll give you a. a well, no, this simple. is a perfect
1: time to make some of those disclosures. No,
2: that's good. I'll give you a simple answer. <laughs> um. We're a company of predominant engineers. Engineers represent the absolute majority of our employee base. Uh, we're a company grounded in uh, very strong engineering culture. It's uh, it's really one of the few companies that does fundamental R&D. That's the result. That's why we have so many essential patents and so many patents because we focus on not only being an implementer of new standards, we want to create them and we want to be uh, really doing fundamental research. That's why we make Snapdragon To power you know one of the most incredible mobile experience but we can also put that into the mars helicopter and send it to mars right so that's a unique thing about the company and uh, the majority of of our employees are engineers and we're focused on two areas one area that we focus on is everything wireless communication we know the last mile uh, data is wireless. Everything wireless communication, uh, whether it's cellular, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, and everything high-performance computing for battery-powered device. That's where you see us investing CPU and DSPs, digital signal processors, AI processing GPU. And where we are right now, the company structure so that we our engineers are divided for our mobile business, our auto business our RF business and this broad IOT that we kind of presented in New York, across
1: consumer, the networking, and the enterprise. Qualcomm made huge investments in 5G. We're coming to sort of the mid cycle of 5G. You have said 6G will be here by 2030, which is only eight years away. How far ahead are you making technology bets and investments?
2: That's a good question. We usually invest a decade, um, and I'll give you a perfect example of this. And uh, I'm sure you can go back and see Qualcomm on talking about it. Right? We talk about connecting physical and digital spaces when it wasn't popular. Well, we talk. We start talking about virtual reality and augmented reality when it wasn't popular. And some of the bets that we made, like uh, over a decade, that led to incredible technology that enabled, for example, the Oculus Quest from Meta, uh, HoloLens from Microsoft, and now people understand the potential of creating digital twins and talk about the metaverse. Well, we're the company that is making the devices that connect the physical world with the digital world. And we start working about 10 years ago. Every generation of wireless, the moment we complete the 5G, we already start working on 6G. And I think that's one unique to Qualcomm. We probably have one of the largest percentage of our revenue dedicated to R&D. And uh, decade is a good answer
1: about everything. We start about ten years in advance. Do you rank your bets? Do you think okay, we got to put some people on the AR and VR stuff because we think that might happen. That's pretty risky. 6G is definitely going to happen. That's less risky we can invest differently. Do you do you prioritize your bets that way?
2: Oh, I have a perfect answer for you. Perfect answer for you. And I kinda I will suggest when I just did our last investor day, when we talk about this new vision of Qualcomm, there's a slide that I presented that I said, here's all the industry trends, and I said, nobody here is gonna dispute with us that those are industry trends. And here's the answer to your question. One of the things that always helped me in my career, and I think that's also part of uh, Qualcomm, is the ability to understand some of those key trends that are happening ahead of time. And that's how we may make priority calls. We invest on those disruptions. We invest in those trends, and that's how we make our bets, and that's how we stick with those bets. And uh, you may think there's too many things we're doing right now, but we're doing it with the one technology roadmap that we have, and it's all based on inevitable trends that we see in front of us. And I can name a few. The digital twins everywhere, which some will call it the metaverse. The other one is the full convergence between mobile and PC. How? PCs are becoming communication devices. I'm sure you, what you and I are doing right now is a communication use case for your device. How we think about creating smart devices connected to the cloud 100% of the time to enable digital transformation, all the way to what's gonna to happen to artificial intelligence. The artificial intelligence that we see today in the data center is just the tip of the iceberg. As you start to bring artificial intelligence to the devices, that's an order of magnitude bigger. It's almost like unlimited addressable market. And that's, that's how we make our bets.
1: Is there any, been anything that you've ever had to pivot out of? You made a bet on, on a 3D TVs and you're like, ah, oh, that didn't work, you gotta shut that down.
2: Yeah, we did. Uh, it's, it's just part of being the technology industry. And we've always been fortunate that we ha- we're always able to leverage the R&D. But for example, I'll give you two practical examples. At some point in time, we have this vision that TVs are going to converge with mobile as well. Just look at the use cases in your TV right now. You, you stream uh, video now, I think. Uh,
1: yeah. I mean, there are, TVs it, are basically giant Android tablets. I giant
2: Android that. tablets. But we're too early. Because we're too early, we needed to support the old and the new. And uh and at the time, to have to invest in a lot of legacy TV technologies wasn't a great idea. So we pivot you know, out of the TV business, waiting for the next opportunity. Another great example was we start working on data centers with uh, ARM technology, I think, too early as well. And um, while we have some assets, we focus on the future of what the data center is moving at the edge. So we have high performance computing for data center you know, uh, inference at the edge, but we kind of really focus on the devices and everything that's happening at the edge instead of the data center.
1: Let me push you on kind of that logical next result from the data center. You mentioned mobile and PCs are gonna converge and look more like each other than not. That is already happening. Qualcomm is on the third generation of chips and PCs. Microsoft has released some devices that run Windows on Qualcomm processors. They haven't hit. I, I wouldn't say that that's been a huge success. Meanwhile, you know, Apple is a competitor of yours. They're also a partner of yours. They have just shifted their entire laptop line to their own ARM-based chips. It is a success. They've, they've had a performance lead in mobile for a while. Now they have a performance lead over Intel in PCs. What's it going to take for you to to compete there? Because it We've seen a lot of generations of these chips, and we're kind of waiting for the big inflection point. Yeah, no, this
2: is a great question. And but and I think that's the reason you see a lot of uh, generations, and that's why we, consistent with the conversation we had, we start early. If you look what happened right now, we knew that PCs needed to change, and PCs needed to change to what we call next-generation PCs. When you buy a phone, you take the phone out of the box, you expect it to be connected Regardless, why is it any different for PCs? Also, as you start to move more and things to the cloud, PCs being a connected device uh, with a high performance connectivity, it's kind of a necessity. Now, when we started doing this partnership with Microsoft, we knew that we needed to do a very big change, especially for the Windows ecosystem, which is very, very strong in the enterprise. We need to do a very big change of an established uh, software ecosystem on x86 to ARM. And we knew it would take multiple generations. I will just give you a case in point. Is right now with Windows 11, which is just launching, that Microsoft can support 64-bit apps emulation on ARM. So for the prior generations, we still have to be able to do some of the applications, but you st- still didn't have the full capability of Windows, so it's completely transparent to the user. And I think that had an impact on how much volume would ramp. But our expectation at the time was it will take multiple generations to basically build the ecosystem around Arm. Apple was an incredible, I think, tailwind because Apple just built more scale to the point that now all the developers are saying, I'm gonna develop Arm first. Just look at, for example, a company like Adobe. On top of this, we had another tailwind, which was the the future of work as we went to the pandemic. And now gaming is becoming a streaming service coming to uh, the PC so you had it to change an entire ecosystem from a PC architecture to a mobile architecture. And I think we're just getting to that inflection point. So it's not a surprise for Qualcomm. If you actually look what we had done in the past, we never made heroic assumptions. Uh, you didn't see me talking, hey, this is the PC is going to be this much percent of our revenue by the time. We knew we needed to switch an entire ecosystem. But we wanted to do all right and do it in a way that we're going to win it. Now you ask yourself the question. Just look at the work that Apple has done for their products with the M series. And I would say the transition to ARM is now inevitable, inevitable, there, there's, there's no debate. 5G is gonna come to, to your PC. If you're now a flexible workspace employee and you have a huge workstation, you're doing you know, computer-aided design, you're not gonna carry that in a backpack, so you're gonna have to do that on the cloud using 5G. You, Companies are getting all the data, moving to Microsoft OneDrive and other cloud drive. People collaborate. You're doing collaboration tunes like Teams and Zoom. Streaming of gaming is coming. And I think that transition is inevitable. Well, if you look at every company out there, who has the assets to actually make this happen for
1: the Windows ecosystems? That's us. And wait, wait I, let, me, and I, let, me, let me push you there. Please do. The use cases you've described, the way that that would be executed, is almost what, in the old days, you would call like a thin client model. right? You've got a big data center. You've got a fast connection, a 5G connection, which, happily, Qualcomm owns a lot of IP related to. That's great for you. You've got devices with 5G modems. Qualcomm makes a lot of 5G modems. And then you're streaming the games. You're sharing the data over OneDrive. Those applications aren't processor intensive. Maybe you're doing CAD. Over some sort of thin client, right? Like you're not doing a lot of heavy duty processing on the client. Apple's innovation is that their clients are wicked fast. So my question is: Is does is Qualcomm see the ability to leap over Apple's performance advantage, both in phones and on the desktop? Look, great
2: question, I have two answers for you. So let me start in reverse order. Absolutely, look, what we talk about it, what are we doing in PCs, right? What are we doing in PCs? We have been now investing, we've been waiting for this moment to have an inflection point. We're gonna have that with Windows 11. We're investing to have the benchmark of performance of PC, across the CPU, the on-device AI, and the GPU. So to date, our products have been focused on leveraging mobile, as focused on a consumer device. They will have like a two-in-one, an evolution of the tablet. You can think about how we probably can compete with an iPad as an example within the Windows ecosystem. That's what we've done today. And understandable, there was limitations on the software to be able to go to the enterprise. Not anymore. And that's the reason we bought Nuvia. We think that is the best CPU team and you should expect Welcome aiming to take the leadership position in performance. We're gonna to have to execute it. So our first product was gonna sample next year and it's gonna be commercial in 23. We've been public about it and people will be able to measure, But we're aiming to have that benchmark of performance in this industry. Now, here's the second part of your question. Computing is on the device is changing dramatically. Let's just give an example on, on artificial intelligence. This is where I think you're gonna see Qualcomm shine because you cannot do those things on the CPU. You need a dedicated hardware. Think about this: you're working with me, just doing this that we're doing right now. We're doing a Zoom meeting, all of a sudden your camera. It's always ready, looking at you and looking at everything else around you. All of a sudden, somebody show up that uh, right behind you, looking over your shoulders, the camera can immediately detect and activate a private screen. The camera can track your eyes and make sure you're looking at the camera at all times with artificial intelligence. The camera can do facial recognitions. On top of that, you're going to have split rendering. As you get mainstream gamings into the device, you need to have the the performance on the GPU to do that at the same time you're streaming. So I don't think computational requirements are going down, even as you do things on the cloud. And frankly speaking, there are a couple of things that, hold true in my, all of my multiple decades of experience working for Qualcomm. <laughs> Two things hold true. I never heard anybody said, okay, now my internet speed is fast enough. I don't want to go any faster. Never heard that. And never heard, I don't want a faster
1: processor uh, for next generation. So I think we're going to be in good shape. Here's a question I've been dying to ask. You recently announced your newest chip, the Snapdragon 8 Gen 1. You changed the name of the Snapdragon line. You. Used- the previous chip was the Snapdragon eight eighty eight. Snapdragon eight Gen one is like not a great name. Why the change? Why do all chip makers tend to have these extremely difficult names?
2: It's an awesome name.
1: It's an <laughs> awesome name. So, so
2: uh, exactly. It's it's super simple. Snapdragon became synonymous of premium Android experience. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's kind of reflected in the consumer. Just if you go to market like China, for example, 80% awareness of the Snapdragon brand. And Snapdragon, the very first Snapdragon was the 8 series or the flagship. And you know you have to go generation after generation. You put numbers, but at the end of the day, there is an incredible uh, identity of eight series Snapdragon. Consumers at the point of buying the phone, especially markets that the consumers really care about what's in their, their device to say, does this have the latest Snapdragon eight series? And we're just simplifying the brand. There's more things that happened than just HN one. We also. Simplify the brand. It used to be Qualcomm Snapdragon, just Snapdragon now. We removed the Qualcomm part name into the Snapdragon brand. It's everybody recognized that red fireball was Snapdragon. And it's just simple, single digit eight.
1: Gen one. And uh, the year after it's gonna be Gen two. I see you, you made some news. You announced future product. I've never gotten a CEO to announce a future product. That's right. Every year, we have, a new, uh, we have a new Snapdragon. That's not going to change, too. We've talked a lot about your future chip roadmap, the purchase of Nuvia, which is uh, great at the CPU side of things. There's a lot of action on the GPU side of things in chips. Do you have a roadmap to compete with the NVIDIAs and the AMDs of the world on, on the graphics pipeline?
2: Here's how you should think about Qualcomm. We have been doing GPUs for the phone space, and then as we evolve into the auto space, going to the auto space, and we always had the highest performers per watt of the industry. And what is good about GPU? Once you have the technology, it's level scalable. It's parallel processing. You can scale up and down. So as you start Qualcomm going to new end markets, more into the what we're we doing in uh, you know, in automotive or digital chassis, as well going into the full market of the PC, you're going to see the Qualcomm GPU scaling up and being extremely competitive. We ship probably more GPUs than anybody else because we do it on phones. And uh, this is a technology that we're very proud of. And uh, we're very excited about what we're going to be able to show as we get into the, the competitive uh, PC space.
1: What's the timeline on that?
2: Well, as we said, the first PC with new tech PC chip with new technology, we're going to sample in 22 for devices launching in 23.
1: We need to take a quick break, but when we come back, we need to talk about 5G radios.
0: Support for Decoder comes from SAP Business AI. It's all over the internet. AI this, AI that. Your friend is turning his cat into a Monet painting. Your coworker used a chatbot to write a sonnet about pancakes. AI isn't the stuff of science fiction anymore, but it's also more than the gimmicks we see on a day-to-day basis. If you're a business owner, AI can offer real solutions to help you scale and innovate. It might be time to check out SAP Business AI. SAP Business AI can help you automate repetitive tasks, optimize inventory management, and supply chain analysis, and identify opportunities for growth in your operations. SAP Business AI can help you with finance, sales, marketing, human resources, procurement, supply chain, and so much more. Like guarding against fraud with AI-assisted anomaly detection, or receive data-driven prescriptive guidance at critical decision points. They even have a generative AI roadmap to help you discover upcoming and cutting-edge innovations for your business. Who knows what innovations are around the corner? Revolutionary technology, real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Learn more at sap.com slash AI.
3: Support for this podcast comes from HIMSS. It can be a challenge for men to speak up about their health, and oftentimes that's rooted in the fear of being vulnerable. But there are just some things we'd rather keep to ourselves. HIMSS knows how you feel, which is why they are looking to provide you with the help you need discreetly. Introducing Hims, a men's healthcare product looking to provide simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for men. The entire process is 100% online, so you can get a new routine of improving your overall health in private. If prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and in discreet packaging. No waiting rooms and no pharmacy visits. So while it can be tough to deal with this part of your life, it doesn't mean you have to do it alone. Start your free online visit today at hymns.com slash decoder. That's H-I-M-S dot slash decoder for your personalized treatment options. hymns.com slash decoder. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See hymns.com slash verge for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan.
1: We're back. You know, I couldn't pass up the opportunity to talk to the CEO of Qualcomm about whether or not 5G is real. I'm curious. It seems like Qualcomm is the only company that can ship a 5G radio in the United States. Apple bought Intel's business. They haven't shipped anything. I think they're still using your modems. One, I'm curious, how did Qualcomm end up in the position where it dominates the entire market for 5G radios in the United States? And two... Where are we on the curve? Is it fast enough? Are you seeing the promise of 5G? Because so far, it seems like a lot of the promise applications have not really come to pass.
2: Lots to talk about that. So let me start with the promise of 5G first. It's always music to my ears when when I hear that. I remember in the 4G, people say, well, what I'm going to do with this technology until the smartphone show up and you put a computer in your hands. Now we have a very mature society, they see the value of cellular and people say, why am I not getting it today? That's that's awesome, actually. This is very good position to be in. The problem with 5G is it takes a little bit of time on the infrastructure. We've done better on the device sides, but it takes a little bit more on the infrastructure because you have to densify the network. You need more cell towers, and as a result, it takes Longer to build than the initial build out that you just could put a new equipment in an existing tower. You need to get new cell towers and get new permits. And it's happening. It's happening in a global scale. The number of carriers investing globally in 5G and densifying the network is happening. But just take a little bit more time. And uh, it's very clear we're going to get there. And as we get there and we started making use of some of the new frequencies of 5G, like the millimeter wave frequencies, you're going to have gigabit speeds at every device. And, and that's going to make a difference. Now, let me tell you what's happening from a technology standpoint. We were for a tech summit in Hawaii two weeks ago. That's the show that we always announce our product lineup. We did the words first. Now, 35 gigabit per second uplink. And I actually did a live call with Verizon Wireless uh, from the event. So when you start thinking about an uplink, of this order magnitude. By the way, the YouTubers in the audience, they were like (laughs) cheering, they were like clapping and they were like, unbelievable, somebody's listening to us. But when you think about this type of uplink, a lot of things can change. Social can change, people can broadcast themselves. Uh, Some will like it, some won't, some won't. But uh, I would just talk about YouTube. Think about how the ability to access computational resources on the cloud and uh, collaborate on documents, all those things. And I think that's gonna start to bring a lot of developers uh, to it. So it's just a matter of time. We're starting to see changes already in user behavior. We're moving towards an unlimited data rates. Everywhere with whatever experience people had in their home in their office, uh, with Wi-Fi is going to be everywhere. Unlimited data rates, high speeds, high uplink speeds, and uh, the developer ecosystem is just at the beginning of that ramp. Now, the last part of the question is: I don't like the word dominant, but uh, the way I would argue—I uh, <laughs> imagine not—yeah, the way I would argue is we're very focused on this. This is one of the many things we do for a living, and we always have done more than Qualcomm. is called Quality Communications, that's her name. And we have been the leader in every single generation of wireless. It's not a coincidence. Uh, We invest, we have one of the best teams, and we always push the the bar. So as long as as, uh, wireless communication remain important, there's always gonna be room for Qualcomm and we always always gonna be first.
1: Who's your biggest competitor in modems in the United States?
2: Uh, we have competitors everywhere. You know, Apple, for example, Apple said they're gonna develop their own modem. When our New York, we assume we basically said, look, we're assuming that the iPhone launching in twenty-three, Qualcomm is now Project the shares 20%. By the way, let me give you some data points. Usually, you know, when you launch a product, you need commercial software and hardware on the product about one year before it gets to the shelf. So we're assuming that they're going to have their modem and they're going to have all the capabilities, including millimeter wave, and that's our projections. But the way to think about it is that customers, when they get scale they sometimes develop their own modems. People sometimes ask the question, you didn't ask this time, why don't you build your own foundry? Well, because we're not (laughs) good at it. We're good at building chips and, and designing chips. We're not good at the foundry. But sometimes customers want to do everything. And the way I look at this is not news to us. And as we always had Samsung, for example, they had their own modem and their own chip. And over the years, I think the Qualcomm relationship with Samsung remains stable, and right now is an upswing trajectory as we're gaining share. So we we'll, we'll keep focused on doing what we do best and see what happens.
1: But my iPhone 13 Pro Max, long name, has a Qualcomm modem in it right now. Good for you. Well, they're not shipping the others. Are there any phones in the market that don't have Qualcomm modems in the United States? I would
2: imagine you're going to find some of the uh, entry-level prepaid phones that don't have Qualcomm modem in the United States. Here's what uh, will make the United States very unique. For the phones that you're going to buy in an operator, the operator in the United States, and that's why it's a very safe uh, cellular environment compared to what you see in some uh, other countries, the operator in the United States will test all the phones and make sure that they meet the latest standards, they're compatible with the network, and and they made a selection on the technology that goes into the phones they put on their shelf. As a result, I think the US operators always select the best performing modem at the time. When you go, for example, to emerging markets, sometimes when the OEM controls the channel, because there's a channel that sells consumer electronics and the operator has no control on the channel, then you find all sorts of stuff. And uh, maybe that's the difference.
1: The reason I ask is because Qualcomm just made a phone. The first phone I think I've seen directly from your company. It's called the smartphone for Snapdragon Insiders. It's very much not meant to compete at mass scale, I don't think. But I'm curious, you didn't build a foundry. Why make a phone?
2: We don't make phones. That phone has been designed by ASUS. It's been designed to a special set of specifications just to highlight some of the capabilities of the Qualcomm processor. It was a limited production device. Uh, only for Snapdragon insiders. We have uh, one of the fastest growing things for Qualcomm is as we get to mature smartphone society, people care what's behind the glass. They, it's the number one consumer electronic purchase decision for many users. And it's remarkable how educated consumers are right now on technology. They want to know about technology. They want to know the capabilities of the processor. And and we're positively surprised to see how many fans exist out there for Snapdragon, and uh, we created this insider program. It's been incredibly successful, multiple millions of users in a very short period of time. I think we we probably announced approaching four, if not exceeded four million users since we launched, which is probably less than a quarter. And uh, we built with Asus, it's the same company that builds the Republic of Games, for example, device for gamers. They built a device just for the insiders, a version that highlights Snapdragon. We're not in the phone business. We actually have a horizontal platform that enable everyone, and that's why we always been uh, successful. I think the horizontal model, I always believe that the horizontal model is going to be better than the vertical model because then you don't have one company doing all the innovation. You can have the collective innovation of all the companies.
1: So a uh, phone to highlight the chip and its capabilities – That's because, you know, you would sell a Snapdragon chip to some phone maker. They would add their differentiation. They would use your features or not. Then they would have to go to a carrier. The Verge covers how the carriers interfere in phone design quite closely. They would make some decisions. It's hard for you to get your innovations directly to consumers, right? So you build the phone. You can sell it directly to some set of Snapdragon fans and show them all the things you're working on. The
2: intention was uh, to build the phone to show some of the capabilities of the chip. For example, one of the things that we did with that phone, when a phone gets built, right, one of the decisions that OEMs make is how many different frequency bands you're going to put in that phone. And you say, this phone is going to go to this market. I'm going to put all the frequency bands that are required by this carrier, maybe some other for roaming. One of the things we did with that phone, we put every frequency band known to mankind. We put every single band, (laughs) every single band. It's gonna work everywhere. Also, the other thing that we do, once we build every new chip, there's something that we do, which is called the MTP. I think the engineers that are familiar with this, they probably know about the MTP. Every new chip of Qualcomm, we build actually a phone. We build a phone. Every new chip will build a phone. It's called the Mobile Task Platform. But it's a phone that we ship to our customers that they start developing their software as they develop in their own phone. So actually, one of the secrets people don't know about Qualcomm, every new chip we do, we build a phone ourselves. And actually, there are two types of devices. One is the MTP. That has it a little bigger. It has a lot of probes that people can put in to get data from the device. The other one is called the QRD, the Qualcomm Reference Design. And you're <laughs> going to look at it like a phone. And we take that phone and we test that across every corner of the globe. We test this phone everywhere. We validate the technology. So so it's performing its best. That's one of the things we're doing with the insiders, just giving them a phone that is like, especially from an, uh, a, a modem in RF, is the Qualcomm gold standard, if you, if you think it that way.
1: We have to take one more break, but when we come back, I asked Christiana what he thought might surpass the smartphone as the essential piece of technology for consumers every day. And his answer, well, we'll see if it surprises you. We'll be right back.
3: Right now, businesses are facing tough choices. Do you cut costs or drive growth? Solve for today or build for tomorrow? Do you satisfy your shareholders or satisfy your customers? The answer is yes. You don't have to choose. With the intelligent platform for digital business from ServiceNow, You can say yes to unifying your existing systems and yes to accelerating growth. Visit servicenow.com to see how we can help you put yes to work. The world works with Servicenow.
0: Startups, you don't need to settle for a cumbersome banking experience to protect your money. Mercury offers banking and credit cards with effortless experience, giving ambitious companies greater precision, control, and focus without compromising security. Open smarter checking and savings accounts, control spend, optimize cash flow, and close the books in record time. Visit Mercury.com to join more than 100,000 startups that trust Mercury with their finances and to help them perform at their highest level.
1: We're back. The phones are interesting. The smartphone... I think there's a very good argument that it is the most important new product in the history of technology, maybe historically and forever. Like Everyone in the world has a phone. They're going to buy a phone. They're going to buy another phone in two years. Like It is just the biggest tech market I can think of. Is there another market like that in your future that you can identify? Is it AR and VR or is it just lots of new markets? Of
2: course there is. And I look, I know we talk a lot about phones, but look, the story of Qualcomm right now is very different. Yes, there is a huge phone opportunity. We're gonna be there. There, Absolutely, we're gonna be there. But the technology we develop for the phone market is changing the automobile, it's changing the PC, it's changing VR and AR devices, it's basically changing how you think about the home or the enterprise transformation the home. There's a lot of the, how changing the Wi-Fi uh, access point in the home, uh, smart IoT devices, is changing the enterprise in a very big way. And that's kind of reflected in the plan for Qualcomm going forward. And it's not just a plan. If you look at what we did at the end of this fiscal year, and the market was surprised. I think they were so obsessed looking into Qualcomm and the relationship of Apple, and they were not seeing what's happening. We had over $10 billion of non-Handset revenue, and the non-Handset revenue represent now 38% of Qualcomm revenues. And I think that's a sign that's not only that there's opportunity there. It's already happening and happening at scale. And I think we have a number of bets that could be as big as phones. And I'll give an example of the one which I think is more futuristic, but we're going to get there. As augmented reality becomes more pervasive, I can see that we're going to buy a set of glasses that's going to be a companion of your phone for a while. And it's, that's going to last for a long time until the glasses become standalone. But why you would argue that maybe humans won't use a big helmet? They will use something like that. They use like a, a regular glasses. You can put cameras on it. You can render things. And the simplistic way to describe this to you. When all of a sudden we started to see iPads and we started to see Android tablets, all of a sudden you have an application and you render that application a different way in a bigger screen. And you can start with something as simple as you render some applications or notifications and things that are in your phone. In addition to that, the screen or phone is going to render to your glasses with augmented reality. Then you get information from the glasses that will create a new set of applications. That From that, you also have interaction with the phone. So I think augmented reality glasses can be as big as phones and will start as a companion to the phone.
1: So let me ask you this question that I ask everybody about air glasses. I already know what the killer app for air glasses is. It's the thing I want the most. I want to look at somebody that I've met before and have the glasses tell me their name because I'm horrible at faces and names. That's it. I, I think you probably sell that product to everybody in the world. How do you build that application without building a worldwide facial recognition database?
2: Um, look, there's many more applications than that one. Let me let me just. But that's uh, the killer app. Uh, there's more. I think there's more killer app than that. So let me t- let me try to give you another choice. But, wait, uh, but answer
1: that question. Can you build back that back application? That. Okay. Uh,
2: I think it's possible to build that application, and you can do that application in many different ways. For example, you could build a, an application that's going to be useful for you. There's going to be camera in your glasses. You see somebody's face, and all you do, you get that face that you just map on your device. You go to the cloud, and you go to what's publicly available on LinkedIn, on Facebook, on an Instagram, and you just compare and contrast, and you say this is some of the choices for you. In the same way that you do that today, you know, and I feel like when you have some, when you have somebody named and you can go in and say, do I know this person or not? So I think at the end of the day, you can do, build this in many different ways, but also I, I think we have a tendency to think this way. Let's talk about a different application of the glasses, which has been credible. I'm gonna give a, an example, for example, for education. If you're in a classroom, and all of a sudden you can superimpose images on your glass or or virtual reality you can go to different places you can you can watch how this thing it happened if you're studying history you can be in a virtual classroom there's plenty but i'm going to give one which i think is going to be possible and it's very easy to understand we have been doing as as working every generation of wireless how does people communicate something as simple as communicating between individuals and when we started is well with 2G cellular, 2G the the promise of CDMA and the capacity of CDMA can we make sure that everybody has the ability to have a cell phone so you can take a telephone with you and every individual on earth can have a telephone that was 2G cellular. 2G cellular it was you saw it started see the beginning of data, and that with that you came things like email, and everybody holding onto their Blackberries. And you have now two ways of communicating. You'll be able to talk to somebody. You can text or send an email. 4G, whole different ball game. And when you look what we have right now with 4G, people actually they're doing less and less voice calls. They just hold their phones. But then something happened. It took a pandemic to finally create a video telephony as the killer app, right? People were trying to chase that. Since the early days of 3G, oh, the killer app's gonna be video telephonic. Well, it didn't really materialize it, but then it took a pandemic and now it's the killer app. So much so that people now get a video call and they're holding their phones right in front of their faces to do a Zoom or a Teams call and it's actually changing behavior. You now your phone, you you hold it with your hands to text it or you hold the like in front of your face for you to have a call. So. Here's how you could have voice calls with a glass. I could have a glass that you're wearing right now, and then a call comes in. You could render the person right in front of you, and that's where I think that's one other way to think about applications on on the metaverse. You can have a hologram or a telepresence of somebody in front of you. And then as your face is moving, and you have sensors in your glass that detect your face moving with artificial intelligence, you can render yourself without a camera looking at you to the person as well. So I think we have the ability to fundamentally change how we're going to communicate to each other as we take advantage of those new technologies. And that could be a killer app.
1: Yeah. Are you invested on the d- display side of these glasses? I'm very curious what display technology will win out for these glasses. Right now, I think we just had John Hankey from Niantic on... Qualcomm has built a reference design with them, waveguide displays. That's what we see everywhere. Do you think that's it, or do you think there's something else?
2: Our model is we, we're, it's the same thing that, for example, in camera, we, I would argue we have one of the best image uh, signal processors in the industry. That's why we always have the highest DXL Mark score, but we partner with image sensor companies like Sony and with uh, Samsung. And I think that would be the same on a display. We're going to be partner. We're going to be doing co-development, put them in their reference designs. I think display technology is getting there. It's probably tracking a little behind some of the silicon and processing for some of the applications we'll start, we just talk about it. But we see a roadmap to get that done, and it's fair to think about within the next four to five years, we're going to have devices that are going to be doing just exactly what we just discussed.
1: Four to five years? Do you think there's a consumer device in
2: four to five years? I think so. We have consumer devices starting now, but with the maturity of the technology to get to that type of killer application that you and I just talked about it, I think that's very realistic.
1: Last silly question. I feel like we talk about the metaverse, AR, VR, a lot is an industry trend. The other industry trend that is somewhat connected to it is crypto NFTs. Do you personally own any crypto or NFTs? And is Qualcomm making any company bets?
2: Fantastic question. It's not a silly question at all. One of the incredible things that we announced as part of the new Snapdragon 8 Gen 1, (laughs) it has now the ability to mint... And generate NFTs. More and more, you have artists creating digital content, and uh, you can now mint and create your NFT from your smartphone with Snapdragon HN1. I think that's going to enable incredible scale of those new technologies, and that's an awesome feature, by the way.
1: What about you? Have you dabbled? Have you made any crypto purchases? Do you own any NFTs?
2: No, I haven't had time to do it. I've <laughs> <laughs> been busy.
1: You see, yeah. All right, Christiana, that's a great place to end it. Thank you so much for coming on Dakota. I really enjoyed it.
2: Oh, I love doing it. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you.
1: Thanks again to Cristiano Amon for taking the time to talk today. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. As always, I'd love to hear what you think of Decoder. You can email us at at decoderatheverge.com or hit me up directly. I'm at Reckless on Twitter. If you like the show, please share it with your friends and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you really like Decoder, leave us that five-star review. Decoder is a production of The Verge and part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today's episode was produced by Creighton DeSimone and Jackie McDermott and was edited by Callie Wright. Decoder music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Our senior audio director is Andrew Marino and our executive producer is Eleanor Donovan. We'll see you next time.
0: Support for Decoder comes from SAP Business AI. Imagine the most tedious task you have at work. Is it making all those manual adjustments to your weekly spending reports? Or sending essentially the same emails over and over again? If you're looking for ways to innovate your business, it might be time to consider SAP Business AI. With dozens of potential integrations to optimize sales, procurement, finance, human resources, and more, SAP Business AI may be able to improve your business operations inside and out. Revolutionary technology, real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Learn more at sap.com slash AI.